Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about corn rootworms, but we're going to get into a lot of other topics as well. Going to talk a little fertility today, Ag PhD mailbag, got a lot of things going on overall. If you've got any questions for us, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. You can also find us on Twitter, AgPHD Media, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. So we'll get into the corn rootworm thing in just a minute. I, I mentioned fertility issues. So Darren and I, right before we walked into our radio studio here, we were just talking about top dressing urea and how much leaf burn we're seeing out there. So if you've listened to the show before and we, we've had this nitrogen talk, you know that I am not a fan of top dressing urea. We don't do it on our farm because I worry so much about that leaf burn. Now, usually the leaf burn is mostly cosmetic. It's no big deal. So I'm not saying this is a disaster waiting to happen or anything like that. But we are seeing some fields that have a lot of leaf burn. And you're going to have more when there's moisture on that leaf. So if you're doing this toward evening and the dew's starting to form, you're doing it real early in the morning, you're going to see more leaf burn than if you do it in the middle of the day, because in the middle of the day, chances are wind or something will, will knock that urea off the leaf and definitely you won't get as much in the whirl. And those are good things. But our concern and part of the reason why I don't like it here is just because, well, that leaf burn, number one, but number two, we just don't get rain very often. We have, we're in two years of drought now, and granted, we had about a one-month reprieve this spring, so we've got enough to get the crop going, and surprisingly, everything looks amazing so far where we're at. But if anybody put urea on in the last two weeks, we haven't had a rain. So, And let's put it this way, four hundredths, that does not constitute a rain. That makes things worse rather than better. The thing with urea is you start losing it in about 48 hours after you apply it if you haven't had rain. And granted, a stabilizer can help some, but stabilizers are not miracle products. They can't make rain fall out of the sky, and they can't keep your urea there for two months. And here's the other thing. If your corn needed nitrogen two weeks ago and you didn't get that nitrogen to it two weeks ago or last week or whatever, you're suffering a little bit. So that's why in these drier regions of the country, like where we farm, we talk so much about, I know everybody says split apply, but you know what? Let's get a vast majority of that nitrogen out early, especially if you're on heavy ground. So every area is a little different. And that's part of the reason why we do this show is just to kind of talk you through some of those things, because what fits for somebody in Alabama doesn't necessarily work for somebody in South Dakota or somebody in New York or whatever it is. So every area is a little different. Okay, the corn rootworm thing, about the only thing I wanted to mention before we get to Ag PhD Mailbag here is we have seen resistant corn rootworms to the BT traits for over 10 years now. That's going to continue. But the good news is there's SmartStacks Pro coming. We have pretty darn good insecticides out there. I'm not going to say they're perfect, but they are pretty good. And then the other thing that makes me always optimistic is, you know what? I can stop rootworm larvae next spring by killing rootworm adults this summer. And in our region of the country, we're going to be seeing those rootworm adults soon. 
probably in the next two to four weeks, there will be a whole bunch of rootworm adults. Some will be in corn, some will be in soybeans. If you see them, you want to get them under control right away. If you wait a couple weeks and you say, well, I want to wait for more bugs to show up, or I don't know, the timing's not right, or whatever, then what's going to happen is in that couple of week time frame, they're going to mate, they're going to lay eggs, and now you just wasted your money killing the adult rootworm beetles that are there. So I just say when you see them in any crop, get them sprayed right away before they have the chance to mate and lay eggs, and then you're in pretty good shape, and you will have fewer rootworms next spring in your fields. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, got this one from Dusty out in Idaho. And he said, we have some water hemp popping up in sugar beets. And although the University of Idaho says we don't have any confirmed cases of Roundup-resistant water hemp in row crops that we know of, these weeds had two applications of PowerMax at 32 ounces, no signs of dying. My question is... Can I use Stinger? Can I use some other product? Stinger's not very good. What should I be doing to try and take these out? For now, we're just going to mechanically remove them. Yeah, I don't don't know what to tell you. It's really tough, especially when they get to be the size that they are. It looks like you got some big ones there. I mean, not enormously big, but six inches tall or more. Um, Yeah, Roundup just flat out is not working uh, on water hemp, on kochia, on a number of these tough weeds that we've got around the country anymore, even at really high rates. And it stinks because in sugar beets, too, you just don't have a lot of options for weed control. So I, I, I wish I had some fantastic answer for you. Will Stinger help a tiny little bit? Yep, a tiny little bit. That's about it. So it's not great. You can definitely use that if you want, but you're not going to get much out of it. All right. Thanks for, for the question. Good luck with your water hemp control. This one came in from Samuel. He said, love your information. I would love also love to see you guys talk about sugar cane and peanuts more on your show. Well, thanks, Samuel. We really appreciate you, you checking things out. Thanks for your support. We don't raise either of those two crops where we're at, but we do talk a lot about fertility and soils. Uh, those kinds of things uh, pertain to really any crop that we're talking about. But in terms of sugar cane and peanuts. Yeah, but you know what? Some of the herbicides are the same. Fungicides are the same. Insecticides, definitely the same. So some of the practices are the same. But yeah, we we just don't get into those two specific crops because we are not experts with those, nor do we raise those on our farm. But if you have a specific question about, hey, how does this herbicide or fungicide or insecticide work? Or how about fertility and what's the best way to get that on there, the best way to get uptake, uh, what, what should my soil levels be at, all those things we can absolutely help you with. So if you do have any specific questions you'd like to know about peanuts or sugarcane, we're more than happy to help you on those. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and today's discussion revolves around corn rootworms. If you'd like to talk about that or you have any agronomic questions, our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. 
Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact eMERGE planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Low rates and high yields with Spraytech fertilizers. Yes, get low rates and high yields with Spraytech's Fulltech, the most complete adjuvant on the market. Fulltech offers burn control, better fixation on leaves, better homogenization in the tank mix, drift control, better spreadability, and more. Fulltech is changing the way you treat your crops. Get higher yields and more money in your bank account with Fulltech from Spraytech. Ask your local retail for Fulltech adjuvant or visit Spraytech.com for more details. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Talking corn rootworms on today's Ag PhD radio show. Thanks for tuning in today. You can also join the show by calling in at 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to discuss this topic or, of course, if you have any agronomic question we can help you with. And you can email us, too, if that's more comfortable for you or if you just have a bunch of information or pictures to show. It's radio at agphd.com. Set over just a little bit east of us in the state of Minnesota. Got Dan Kohler on right now with the Calbasgro. Dan, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing excellent. Yourself? Pretty good. And, you know, I was just driving around looking at cornfields today, and I'm seeing leaves starting to roll up in areas where it's dry. But oftentimes we see spots out in fields. And I was thinking about today's topic, corn rootworms, that we often think, oh, it must be a lighter, sandier spot or something in the field. But it could be a spot where rootworms are really feeding and limiting uptake too, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Especially if we start to see them in the next couple weeks. I know Bruce Potter last week put out a newsletter saying that we should uh, start having a hatch here probably this week. So I was thinking next week would be ideal time to be out there digging and seeing what kind of populations we're looking at. Sure, sure. Yeah, I've been seeing lightning bugs, and that's usually my trigger. When I start seeing lightning bugs, then my rootworm digs start becoming a little more successful, and I start finding those little guys. Now, one thing that I'm really curious to get out and do some digging in this summer, and we saw it really for the first time last year with SmartStacks Pro with the the new... Um, I, I don't know how you want to say it, new mode of action to uh, address corn rootworms. Can you talk to us a little bit about what's different in this new trait, SmartStacks Pro? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, the difference between SmartStacks and SmartStacks Pro is just an additional mode of action for below-ground corn rootworm control. And SmartStacks had two modes of action there, both BT, 
And the SmartStacks Pro new mode of action is an RNAi. So essentially, we're just preventing um, the corn rootworm larvae from producing a protein that's essential essential for survival. Yeah, it's really interesting. And just looking at roots from last year and root digs last year, it looks really promising. What what are you seeing with it, Dan? Yeah, I had probably three trials myself last year in some um, very high pressure fields, and I had the you know the dual mode of action products out there um, right along with SmartStacks Pro. And you know they have to feed, of course, um, to die. But it was pretty much a night and day difference. Um, between how many nodes you know we've seen fed off in the dual mode of action products and then the smart stacks pro where there's just a little bit of feeding and the other thing you'd see um, right away is just no goosenecking better standability so we're improving you know the amount of you know there's better more roots for like you mentioned earlier the moisture and nutrient uptake but we're also seeing a lot better standability by protecting those roots with that you know third mode of action yeah, I'm pretty excited about the the depth of the launch uh, coming into next year for SmartStacks Pro, seeing material uh, down into the 90-day stuff and, and uh, of course, later too. So for, I would say, Minnesota and South, right, there should be SmartStacks Pro product available for next year? Yeah, we probably, as a company, we got, as a DeKalb company, we have five products, hybrids, that we'll have for sale. And then right here in Minnesota, or the upper Midwest and our maturity zone, you know, we're going to have four products from 101 to 111 day um, that we'll have for that we have in plots this year and that will for sale uh, next year. And we had a, a limited edition of a new 107 day actually out um, this year in field. So we're going to get a good look of that on, you know, a pretty, pretty good sample amount of acres um, heading into next year. Yeah, I know the positioning that I've heard on this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, has been SmartStacks Pro. Use that in your higher pressure areas, and then we can utilize some of the other technologies, maybe where we've got low to moderate pressure. Is that is that what, what you're going to be doing going forward? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, because especially year, you know, coming out in the first year, we're going to be a little bit limited on the amount of SmartStacks Pro we'd have out. And so I think, like you mentioned, um, smart stacks with the dual mode of action is what you'd want to use as a tool in maybe first, second year corn on corn. And then on the acres where you're long-term continuous corn and you've maybe seen, you know, an uptick in the corn rootworm populations on the field, you know, then that's where I would position the smart stacks for you need that additional um, third mode of action. All right, we're talking with Dan Kohler here with the Cal Basgro about rootworms and about the new SmartStacks Pro trade that's pretty exciting coming out this next year. Dan, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. All right, thank you. Uh, another guest in Minnesota is Eric Rebeck with FMC, and I actually got a chance. Eric happened to stop into the Ag PhD studio here not too terrible long ago, maybe a month or so ago. How are you doing, Eric? Hey, I'm doing well. Yeah, that was a good visit. How are you guys doing? Well, pretty good. You know, you just can't get away from your entomology roots here. Here we're talking about corn rootworm. It's like, well, who else? Let's call. Let's give Eric a call and see see uh, what we can learn about rootworms. Because you know, with FMC, you got several different solutions here for for dealing with rootworms. We were just talking with Dan Kohler about new traits that are out there. But the the challenge with a lot of these traits, you got to take bites out of the roots in order for the the bug to get that protein and. Well, I don't want the bugs to take a bite out of my root. I'd love to stop them before they get there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're talking again, kind of getting back into a truly integrated pest management approach with the so-called billion-dollar beetle um, because of uh, just the need to, uh, you know, stack uh, multiple strategies for, for its management. So, so you're absolutely right. Um, uh, FMC does have um, some, uh, some insecticide products, uh, both for in-furrow use, uh, targeting those larvae, and, of course, also uh, coming up here very soon, um, foliar treatments for the adult beetles. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I know growing up, we would use insecticide with our planter and try and deal with, with the, the larval stage of this bug, but I don't ever remember spraying for the adult beetles growing up. Now, we are starting to see more showing up in soybean fields, and I wouldn't say that we've sprayed for corn rootworm beetles in soybean fields uh, on purpose, it's been more of a, hey, we've got aphids or we've got bean leaf beetles out there. And, oh, yeah, there's some corn rootworm beetles. But how common is that sure. becoming in, in some of these heavy pressure areas to spray the adult beetles in cornfields? Yeah, it's it's becoming a, a pretty useful tactic for uh, reducing the, the number of larvae the following uh, the following season, that next generation. Um, it, it's a kind of an old standby that's referred to as total population management. Um, so the fewer females, the, the fewer gravid females that you have in that field in this upcoming season, um, the, the fewer eggs that are going to be laid, and, um, and that's going to, of course, lead to fewer larvae that are trying to uh, nip those roots uh, come next season. So, so, yeah, I mean, the more we can do with uh, foliar applications, especially in those heavier, uh, heavier population areas, um, the, the, the better we're off we're going to be with reducing uh, the number of uh, egg-laying females and, and therefore uh, reducing the number of eggs that following year. All right. When you think about resistance management, this is kind of an interesting talk too, because let's just say that we use Capture LFR and we use a bifenthrin-based product to try and stop the larvae stage. What are our different choices when we start talking about killing these beetles above ground? Yeah, good question. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, pyrethroids in particular, which include uh, the Capture and, and Brigade and, and uh, some of the other uh, products that are out there, um, we, we have seen some resistance building up to that class of, of chemistry. Um, and so resistance management is very important. So uh, one that we're very excited about at FMC as far as a foliar application this year, again, kind of getting back to treating the adult population, um, is a product called Steward, which... Um, it's a group 22 insecticide, so it's a completely different chemistry from the pyrethroids. Um, and uh, the active ingredient in that is endoxicarb. Uh, and so, um, so that it's, a, it's a very good tool. It's, uh, it's got very long residual. We've had really good data coming out last few years looking at this product um, against corn, uh, corn rootworm adults. Um, and um, usually, um, at, you know, we're, we're, getting, we're looking and seeing reduced numbers of adults um, Timing it right for when those populations are kind of peaking, um, we can get about three or four weeks of uh, really good control of those adults uh, with just that one application. So um, you can probably get away with just that one application, um, you know, depending on the situation, depending on the population that you're dealing with. Uh, but it, that really kind of um, begs the question, what about monitoring and scouting for beetles? That's still very important. Again, trying to time the, make the proper timing of that application for when those uh, gravid females are present. And that really does buy you a window there where you've got some good long residual to catch them as they're emerging. Eric Rebeck with FMC. Thanks for being on, Eric. We really appreciate it. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more. And don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Listening to Ag PhD Radio today, we've been talking about corn rootworms, and we'll continue that discussion throughout our show today. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And, of course, receiving your emails, radio at agphd.com. And, uh, Brian, you get a lot of emails about the Ag PhD Field Day, too. A lot of questions coming up. It's under a month now, and the Field Day will be here. Will we see any rootworms out there, Brian? That's right on some of your ground. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, 
here's the thing. At the field day, we don't necessarily kill all the insects or weeds. No, it was fun at diseases. the scouting and scholarships <laughs> clinic. I, I told a couple of the couple of the groups coming through. I said, "Okay, you may notice there's a weedy patch here and there. We've got some untreated checks, yep. and it's very hard for me to walk by a plot on our own farm and see a weed out there and not want to just pull it. But sometimes I got to just leave them out there and and let things play out. Hey, let me let me bring this up because I know there was somebody who called in earlier today and was talking to one of our people here at Ag PhD and just said, you know, it's expensive to fly. I just don't know if it's worth it to come for one day. And I would just say this to you. If you've never attended, or even if you have attended the Ag PhD field day before, you're going to find this one day is tremendously valuable. We pack a lot of stuff in. You're going to get the opportunity to talk to fantastic farmers from all over the globe and and see things in the field you can't see elsewhere, see autonomous equipment and other equipment running in the field that you can't see elsewhere. You're going to see some world launches for certain new equipment pieces here at the field day before you see it anywhere else. We've got a whole bunch of our research things to go through. We've got a lot of great guest speakers. We have entertainment for you, including we got an air show. We got a polka band. We got all kinds of stuff. It's fantastic. So I know it seems like, oh boy, it's a long trip for one day, but trust me, it's going to be worth it for you. We're doing everything we can to pack a lot of stuff in to a, in a short amount of time. Because we know you're busy, and quite frankly, we can't do this multiple days either because we're busy, and all these these farmers and companies and everybody else we bring in, to get them here for one day is great. And if we ask for bigger commitments, it's just not going to happen from them. So trust me, if you've never been here, even if you have, this is going to be our biggest, best field day ever. Now, I can't promise the weather's going to be perfect, but I can promise you when you show up, you're going to get a great experience here. It's going to be a lot of fun. We like doing this at the end of July because that's our hottest time of the year. And, and by hot, I mean 85 degrees. That's our average high at the hottest time of year. And we start at 7 a.m. And at that point, it's 60 degrees out. So it's beautiful in the mornings most of the time, but we do have facilities. We got air conditioning. We got all kinds of stuff. It's great. It's on about a hundred acre patch where we've got the whole field day and everything else going on. But uh, but anyway, we'd really encourage you join us for the Ag PhD Field Day. It's always free. It's always the last Thursday in July this year. That's Thursday, July twenty eighth. Just go to agphd.com to learn more. I hope you don't see any corn rootworms when they're out there. But, you know, we're talking about corn rootworms today, and it's not just an issue in the United States. It's an issue north of the border in Canada as well. We've got John Givlovsky with us right now. Uh, he's with the Manitoba Agriculture and Resource Development Group. And, John, I uh, just want to talk about corn rootworms. I didn't, I didn't realize we're sending them north to you as well. Yeah, they, they've actually been in uh, Canada for a long time. Now, they're a relatively new phenomenon here on the Canadian prairies, where I am. Um, in Manitoba here, we only found them for the first time in uh, 2015, and that was just northern corn rootworm. And last year, we came across a population of western corn rootworms, so now we know we have both species here in Manitoba. But they've been a problem for decades in Ontario and some of the areas uh, further east. Okay. Well, you know, when you think about it, I, I just think about the crop rotation that you're in. That's got to be a great tool, isn't it, in Canada? Uh, that's the primary tool that we recommend for managing corn rootworm uh, because uh, the, the damaging stage, the larvae, uh, 
they can't really move too far. And aside from corn, they really don't feed on anything else. So if you don't have corn in that field next year, uh, the rootworm die. Now, there's exceptions to that in the U.S. where I know they've got an extended diapause um, variant. But for the most part up here, rotation is a, a perfect control tool. You know, in, in Manitoba, been a lot of challenges this growing season. What is corn looking like out there? What stage are you at? And when do you encourage growers to be doing their root digs and, and doing their scouting? Well, uh, the corn is small right now. We had a lot of rain in the spring, and it was a real challenge for people to get out and uh, get their corn planted. Our general guideline here is we like to see the corn at least knee-high by the beginning of July, but I don't. a lot of fields aren't going to be at that this year. Again, just because things were seeding was done so late because of a lot of the excess moisture on the fields. You know, when you look at, at rootworms and their, their life cycle, uh, I, I remember we were doing a field day and it was 20 below outside and we went out the day before, before it was quite so cold and we grabbed some corn stalks out of our field. And sure enough, we found bugs in the corn stalks. What is winter survival like with rootworms? I, I know a lot of times folks will say, well, man, it gets, it gets cold enough here. It is no-till helpful. Um, uh, are there other practices that, that could be uh, at least somewhat helpful controlling rootworms? Well, as far as rootworms go, we really stress the rotation end of it. Now, the, the corn rootworm, they overwinter as eggs in the soil. So it, it doesn't really, the, the winter kill probably isn't going to be a huge contributing factor. Even a little bit of snow as insulation is enough to keep the soil relatively warm. So I don't expect a lot of winter kill in most cases. Now there's other insects too that survive our winters in corn quite well. European corn borer being one of them. They're overwintering right in the stems of last year's corn, and they seem to make it through okay as well. So uh, I usually suggest to the farmers not to assume, even in a bitterly cold winter, not to assume uh, high levels of winter kill with the corn rootworm. If they can, rotate your corn. If you're not willing to rotate your corn, then you need to scout your fields and potentially um, be looking at resistant varieties or some other control options. Yeah, a lot of things to think about with corn rootworms, and we do see different stages of growth with the larval feeding on the root system. I, I like doing root digs and just trying to see what's out there, and I know if you're seeing feeding on the roots, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was rootworms. It could be something else as well, but uh, but rootworms are, are often suspected, and then when you see those adult beetles moving around, whether it's in your cornfield or in the neighboring crops, uh, it's another opportunity if you had huge populations. But I hadn't really seen that much, John, until just the, the last five years or so in our area, too, where there were enough adult rootworms that, or adult rootworm beetles, they were chopping off all the silks. I saw one particular field that had no kernels developed due to, to silk feeding. Uh, and, and I've seen some other ones that have been fairly fairly similar too, uh, but you haven't seen anything like majorly for damage on the adult beetles yet? Well, not to the extent that you're describing with the silk clipping, but we have got to the point in some fields 
we're we're starting to see the lodging and there there's a few fields in manitoba that i know of where harvest was very difficult for the farmers uh so much of their crop had lodged and what happens the roots get so weak the plants basically are falling over but they're still alive and growing but they grow kind of crooked we call it goosenecking so you have these um curved stems on the plants a lot of them are low are lying quite low to the ground harvest becomes very difficult uh i know one situation not too far west from carmen where i'm located where uh, they went in and harvested a bit early and they the harvest was difficult for them because there was so much lodging now we went out to that field started pulling plants and very minimal root systems left in some of those plants so we have got to that point in manitoba where we're seeing uh that kind of severe damage and the conversations that we have with the farmer are is it possible to rotate this field yeah and it's sometimes it's not even possible it's you need to rotate (laughs) you just can't go back with corn Uh, john givlovsky thank you so much really appreciate having you corn rootworms are called the billion dollar bug for a reason If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Labeled for field corn and seed corn, Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. That proven chemistry makes it an excellent fit in integrated pest management and insect resistance management programs. And with less effect on beneficials than many traditional chemistries, Steward EC Insecticide reduces your risk of creating other pest issues like flaring spider mites. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zeopro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zeopro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's fun talking with John Givlowski up in Manitoba. And he said, you know, we haven't had the rootworm issue so much in Manitoba, but over in Ontario, they've been fighting it for a long time. So we got Jocelyn Smith on right now with the University of Guelph. Uh, Jocelyn, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hi there. You know, I, I am just always amazed that in Ontario, basically the farmers are raising the same hybrids we are in South Dakota. So you, you definitely dip down and there's some good that comes with that. And maybe this corn rootworm thing is part of the bad thing that you get them a lot sooner than everybody else. Yeah, that's true. I was actually just looking at the map and thinking that we are pretty much the same latitude here as you guys. Yes, yes. So so, yeah. so I know exactly what you're facing here at this rootworm challenge. And uh, if you've had rootworms for a while, I'm guessing crop rotation alone is not going to stop the problem. But w- what are you seeing? And then do you have a lot of farmers that are continuous corn in Ontario that uh, they, they uh, say, you know what, I don't care about the rootworm. I got to go after it here and I'm just going to have to do some things to control them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so for the majority of growers in Ontario, I'd say, you know, most of them have a, a pretty good crop rotation routine and corn, soybeans and wheat dominate things. But there are, uh, you know, a good number of livestock producers who need more corn. They just uh, to feed, obviously, pork and dairy producers. And so we estimate maybe it's 10 to 15 percent of our acres that it would be continuous corn. Um, it's hard to get a really good handle on that number specifically, but there definitely are some. And and there are just some uh, cash crop growers who like to grow corn on corn too sometimes. Um, and so that's where the challenge comes in. And we've had some pretty good success for a number of years using the BT hybrids to control rootworms in those situations. But unfortunately, we're starting to find pockets where we're getting resistance now to some of the BT traits. So that's on our radar to really uh, have a look out for that now. Yeah, that sounds very familiar to me, Jocelyn. Yeah. We got the same yeah. thing going on over here. And, you know, when we look at that, uh, I guess our solution for our farm has been, well, let's use a combination. We'll rotate where we can, but uh, we've got to use the traits and then probably some insecticide too. Uh, are you seeing growers doing that, kind of having a, a mix of, well, we'll do this and we'll do that to take a couple different shots at them? Well, I think we're heading that way more than we used to. Um, I think, we well, we don't probably have as many options when it comes to insecticides as you might. Um, you know, the neonic seed treatments are pretty much going to be off the market next year. So that's not an option. And they never were that great for controlling rootworm anyway. You know, if you have a heavy rootworm population, you know, you might get some control with the high rate, but not, not excellent control. Not as good as the BTs ever did. Um, so we have forced granular insecticide available, but, uh, you know, not a lot of growers have that equipment on their planters anymore. So that's not very common. So, yeah, we're really, we're, we've definitely been more relying on the transgenics than anything else. And now we're encouraging growers to maybe pull back on that a bit and try to use them 
more judiciously like rotate out of BT traits for a year at least, maybe more, if you have uh, issues with resistance starting up, and then just using them like in maybe the second or third year corn, and you base that decision on the rootworm populations in the previous year at the end of the summer. Hey, I, I need to follow up on the, the neonics, and we haven't talked about this now for a while on the show about what's happening in Ontario. Can you give us an update mm-hmm. on that? And also, what are farmers going to do without neonics? What's going to be the replacement? Yeah, to be honest, I've, I may have lost track of that issue a little bit because it, it, it was such a big deal a few years ago, and then the restrictions came in around their use, and I think our use dropped a fair bit. Uh, in Ontario, and um, yeah, and there's been there's been further um, reevaluations from PMRA on that, and I think basically they're going to be uh, off the market next year. Especially, definitely the high rate, that's for sure gone anyway. Sure. So, uh, you know, I think there, some growers are switching to the diamide insecticides if they've got, uh, you know, grub or seed corn maggot or maybe wireworm issues, but um, that's about all we've got now. Yeah, it really does change things, and and you take for granted how many options that that we do have. And you look at the insecticides. I know they aren't super common on a ton of acres, but there's getting to be more and more mm-hmm. guys that say, "I'm going to have to have this for resistance management." Because uh, there's new SmartStacks Pro coming with this RNAi technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you expect, or when do you expect to see that in Canada? Will that be out next year there as well? Yeah, I think it's going to be out next year. And we really, uh, we've looked at it a little bit in trials in the last year or two, and it's looked pretty good where we've had um, some issues with resistance around uh, with rootworms to some of the other traits. So it's good to have another toolbox coming to the market. But again, I think, you know, there aren't a lot more of these that we know of in the near future, in the next few years. So I think we need to think long term and, and try to use the new technology a little bit more judiciously than we maybe did with the the older rootworm traits and and you know don't just plant them everywhere because we can like i said maybe we we try to do a little more scouting and deciding when and where to use them so that we have them for longer term yeah we need every technology to stay around as long as it can to help Mm -hmm. us with some of these challenges like the pesky corn rootworm talking with jocelyn smith up in ontario with the university of guelph jocelyn thank you so much we really appreciate having you on yes thanks for calling me you bet uh, Brian, uh, you're talking about field day here just a minute ago too. And now I've gotten three questions that have come back in about that. Do you want to talk more rootworm or do you want to take those field day questions? No, go ahead. All right. Uh, this one comes from Zach. He said, I was wondering, uh, can you pre-register for golf carts ahead of the field day? Uh, I'm yes. bringing my father and he's got Parkinson's, et cetera, and, yep. and uh, need the golf cart to have a full day. Yep. Just go to agphd.com. We got that information there. Uh, then also got a couple of questions in about kids. Do we also need to register kids for this year or just no, the adults that are coming? Just the adults. And we do have a kid zone too. So we've got some some things that can keep kids occupied that are mostly egg related as well. <laughs> so anyway, kids will have fun. All right. And then uh, we've had a number of questions back about, hey, we got to do continuous corn. We've got a livestock operation. Hey, we're chopping silage for our dairy uh, and on and on and on. How do you manage rootworms in those situations where we are expecting heavy pressure each year? Okay. So we've got some continuous corn 
and all around us is mostly continuous corn in in those spots. So how do you manage that? If it's me, what I would suggest is SmartStacks Pro for a trait. Use insecticide. The dries are the best. If you want to just if you're going to spend the money on SmartStacks Pro, I'd probably just go with a liquid. That'll be fine. Use Capture LFR or something like that. And then in addition to that, I would consider what we would call bug bombing. The, the whole thing is, in corn, there are a lot of people spraying fungicide anymore. Just throw the insecticide in with the fungicide, time it for when you start seeing those rootworm beetles, and then you're in pretty good shape. Again, the key is kill the beetles as soon as you see them, not a few weeks later after they've had the chance to mate and lay eggs. You want to ideally get them within that first week of when you see them. So those are the steps I would take. Now, there are other things we can talk about with continuous corn, fertility and residue management and all that kind of stuff. But if the question is about insects, that's the very best way to do it. Now, you might say, okay, SmartStacks Pro isn't available for me. You could still use regular SmartStacks. You could use uh, and and then just go with a high rate or full rate of insecticide, whatever. You've, you've got some choices there. But when it comes to the insecticide, I just encourage you at least if you're really worried about it, use the dry instead of the liquid. It'll give you 5 to 10% better control. So th- th- those are just some of the things that I would throw out. All right, we're talking corn rootworm on Ag PhD Radio today. Also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this one from SD, who's over in India, who said, uh, I'm wondering which chemicals are available in our country that match up to yours. You know, SD, it's a good question. A lot of times we yep. do talk active ingredients uh, on our TV show. We like to show labels with active ingredients, and we don't always mention them on our radio show, but we try to do that no, to but, help folks in other parts of the world. Yeah, but you could certainly look up, and it is right online, lots of places to look these up. Look up the label of any product we mention, then look at the active ingredient, and then you can check in your country to see if that active ingredient is labeled. And if you've got questions then, you can certainly ask us any specific questions. We can help you out. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler fungicide unleashes the power of the plant's microbiome and multiple modes of action to deliver extended, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. With all the advantages of no residue, zero PHI, minimal REI, and take-mix flexibility, get the fiercest, most effective protection available with Howler fungicide, a product of AgBiome. Learn more at agbiome.com howler. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. 
AgPhdTV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's AgPhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free AgPhD Field Day. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles, the ideal nozzle for dicamba and 2,4-D applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at Pentair.com Hypro. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. And we are in the Ag PhD mailbag time here, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or emails radio at agphd.com. Uh, got one from Lance here. Brian, you talk about treating spray water and turning chlorine into chloride. I'm just curious, is chloride one of the essential nutrients that yes. plants need? Yep, sure is. Yeah, it is, Lance. Uh, it's involved in the photosynthesis process. Uh, it seems to be very important for plant health for a number of different reasons. I know some things that you'll read will talk about improvements in disease control in those plants. Uh, so, yeah, there is there is a need for chloride. And normally you can get enough out of the soil, but there are certainly different crop rotations and, and practices that are being used in, and different soils out there, too, that need some more chloride. So it's one of those nutrients that that is important for plants and they don't need a huge amount of it, but they definitely need some. And thanks for the question. Get this one in from John and he doesn't mention a specific crop here, Brian, but he said, I'm curious about controlling powdery mildew. Uh, what do you know about that particular disease and what are some things you would do to stop it? Well, first of all, uh, John, I, I would say this, I, and I don't know about every single crop out there, but when you look at soybeans, for example, some varieties are resistant to powdery mildew and some aren't. So choosing a resistant or more tolerant variety, no matter what crop you're raising, that's always a good thing. And then with any disease control, you have to look at the, the disease triangle. You need that uh, disease present, but you also need a susceptible hybrid, as I was mentioning, or a susceptible variety, and you need the right environmental conditions. So when we've got extended periods of leaf wetness and we've got cooler, cloudier conditions, a lot of times you end up with powdery mildew in, in different crops. If you've got a thick canopy, so if you're seeding really thick, if you're using narrow rows, those kinds of things can lead to more powdery mildew problems. So to stop it, you have to be out there way in front of it 
with a preventative fungicide treatment, and you have to have the right nutrient balance in your soil to give your crop all the tools it needs to fight it off as well. Yeah, I figured you were going to talk about the fungicide piece. There are a number of fungicides that can be used. Fortunately, this is a fungal disease, so a fungicide will stop it, but you've got to spray preemptive. You have to be out there early. If you already see a whole bunch of disease, you're too late. But in addition to that, Darren mentioned this nutrient thing, and that's where I wanted to go. There are so many diseases that would be less if the plant just has more ability to fight that disease. So it's exactly like in human health. If you have a poor diet, you're more likely to get sick. If your plant has a good, I'll call it diet, so the the soil nutrients are balanced and you feed that crop well, then it's going to be more tolerant to any disease that comes along. Now, does that mean that it's going to have no disease? Oh, of course not. I mean, even like the healthiest human being on the planet can still get a disease. Same thing with your crop. But usually the damage is much less, the recovery is much faster. And so that those are just some of the reasons why we want to have that good nutrition. All right. Uh, let's dive into uh, another question here. This one is from N2, who said, we are down in Queensland, Australia, and you guys are talking about terraces and field contours. We've got really big equipment here, and it makes it really tricky fitting in between those things and farming up and over them. Tell me about uh, it. Having the, the planter units, for example, stay in the ground, yep. and uh, it gets to be a real challenge. What, what kind of practices are guys doing in the States to, to try to counteract that? No-till and strip-till and eliminating the terraces as much as they can. Or they have to reshape the terraces, because even on our own farm, our grandpa put terraces in. Well, what was he using for equipment back then? It was one heck of a lot smaller than what we're running with today. We have a 60-foot planter. We have a 120-foot sprayer. We're running big equipment now. And, you know, even our 60-foot planter, that was big 10, 20 years ago. Well, today, I mean, there are a lot of people running with 90-foot planters. (laughs) So, yeah, you have to redo the terraces and reshape the fields a little bit if you want stuff to fit in there. It's either that or, like I said, there are a lot of people that pulled these out. Like even on our own farm, we pulled some of the things out. I mean, there's still a little bit of that shape there, but we've we've pulled some of that out because we didn't, in some of these fields, there were terraces where it's like, what do we need a terrace here for? If we no-till or strip-till, um, we're mostly preventing the erosion that was happening before. Plus we're tiling, which also helps reduce erosion a lot. So between all that, you know, we're not doing full-scale tillage like they used to have to do, like our grandpa had to, in order to kill the weeds, the insects, the diseases, and prepare a good seed bed. We don't have to till the ground eight times. So we, we, we don't feel like we need some of those things, depending on what that slope percentage is. All right, got a question that came in from Robert over in Illinois, and he said, every year we we get our garden plants a start, uh, like watermelon, cantaloupe, pumpkins, sometimes tomatoes. This year uh, we had tomatoes that are about 10 inches tall, looked really healthy, and we gathered some water up from a small creek behind our house. And the creek water ended up killing some of the plants or stunting others. Uh, I'm wondering what would be wrong in that creek water that could have caused that issue, and where would you send water like that to get it tested? Well, there are plenty of labs that test water, so I I don't 
Do we know where this question was from? Illinois. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so there there has to be there have to be several labs in Illinois you could find. You can just talk to an agronomist and maybe they'll help yeah, you. Yeah, talk to an extension yes. agent. I'm sure the yep. university does some work on that. Yep, and just send it into that lab and see what was in the water. I, what what could have hurt the tomato? I'm no tomato expert, but I know this: tomatoes are unbelievably sensitive to almost everything. So you have to be so careful with tomatoes. So, I, I mean, it, it could have been anything. I, I, I don't really know. That seems awfully strange, though, that just water out of a creek would hurt something. But who knows? So I test it. If you find something out, let us know. Okay. Uh, be patient with me here, Brian Cheryl's got a few questions. So she's got some... Patience isn't exactly my strong suit, but go ahead. She's got a small <laughs> amount of corn that she's trying to raise at home. Okay. And she said she's losing plants due to squirrels and rabbits. Uh, just curious how to keep those things out, but also the plants that are there. She said the corn roots are showing. And I'm wondering if I should build dirt up around the yes. plants or what I could do different. Yep. And then uh, the other thing that she wanted to ask about is, what is a water table? Because we talk about how important that is to get deeper roots. Okay, so several things. I think I wrote all these down. Uh, so first of all, squirrels and rabbits, get a dog. That'll solve that problem. Yep, get uh, a dog, get a fence around there. Yep, I, get some cats. So, yep, and then they'll bring you presents from time to time, but... Anyway, you may or may not like that. Okay. So roots showing, those could be the brace roots. If those are the brace roots, it's no problem. If those are the nodal roots, then absolutely cover them up with more dirt. Even if they are the brace roots, you could cover them up with more dirt. That would certainly be fine. If it's the nodal roots that are above ground, that means you didn't plant your corn at least an inch and a half deep. So you got to make sure it's at least an inch and a half deep, preferably two to two and a quarter inches deep. So get the seed that deep, and then you should be good moving forward. A water table, basically what that is, um, you, you can read up on a water table because I'm sure my definition isn't going to be very good here. But in the soil, there is a level where it's just basically water below that. And the water table means that top point of where that, that water is. It's like a sea down below your, your field. And for us, where we farm, our water table quite often in the spring can be at only a foot deep or two feet deep. And what happens is our roots grow very quickly as soon as we plant that seed and they hit the water table. Well, there's no, there's no air in that water. So then the, the roots die and now you get a problem. As the water table continues to recede, as it continues to go down during the course of the summer when things get hot, a lot of people say, well, there's water down there. I want to, I would like my roots down at three feet deep. You can have roots down at three feet deep, but the problem is you already killed those roots by keeping the water table too high early in the season. That's why we talk about drain tile, keeping the water table down. So at least we got two or three feet where we always have air in that soil. So then our roots can grow, our microbes can live. It's just, it leads to a much healthier soil. And then the long-term benefit is obviously for a farmer, we get higher yields and we have cleaner water too. Thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. Uh, and if you have questions here or you just want to see uh, some of the things that we're talking about on the show, well, what they really look like out in fields, you can come to the Ag PhD Field Day. It's right on our farm coming up Thursday, July 28th. Just go to agphd.com for all the details and to pre-register. 
Thanks for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.